You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Okay, welcome to part two of our discussion of The Winter's Tale. We had just been talking about the way that Hermione persuades Polixenes to stay and the, as I count them, four different sections to that argument ending with the, this concept of imprisonment. I think, Aaron, you were about to move on to the next phase where we get some pretty serious flirtation between Hermione and Polixenes. Obviously, Leontes has been activated in several by several different things that have already gone on, and he's even um, he's drawn apart before that whole verily section to observe them unobserved. And and then now he's going to look on as Hermione gets very flirty. Go ahead. Yeah, she wants to know what he was like when he was little. And interestingly, he's been there for nine months. But Were you conversation- a bad boy? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and and uh, he he reveals their backstory after being, I don't know what they were talking about for the first nine months, but now he has something new to tell her. He says, we were two lads. He's speaking of his childhood friendship with Leontes when they were BFFs. They were two lads that thought there was no more behind, but such a day tomorrow as today and to be boy eternal. So this is a very strange way of putting this, right? First of all, there's this, the boy eternal, there's this Peter Pan quality to this, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to be, they wanted to stay young forever. But two lads that thought there was no more behind, but such a day tomorrow as today. So behind here, meaning after. There was nothing after Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. but a tomorrow that's just like today. So this idea of the stillness of time, I think is really interesting in this word behind, because besides the fact that it's a funny word for other reasons, but the fact that behind means both before and after. Yeah, it sounds like, no, it sounds like what he's saying is they thought they would live forever. So she brings the conversation back to their youth and says, was not my lord the very wag of the two? And my lord probably refers to Leontes, right? But I think it's at least syntactic or semantically, it could just as well refer to the person she's talking to since he's also lord i don't know but in any case she sets up this idea who's who's the who was the more bad you're both bad but who's more bad <laughs> <laughs> and polixenes i think is trying to I, I don't know he's trying to be a little bit evasive we're twin lambs all right so it's not one of us we're lambs we're innocent and we're twinned we one of us wasn't worse than the other and we what we changed was innocence for innocence um and they hadn't dreamed of ill doing and all that stuff but they he's already alluded to this idea that they're that they might be eternally youthful mm. and then there's the idea that they're twinned um innocent except he alludes to the idea that they didn't stay innocent because he says and our weak spirits never been um higher reared with stronger blood we should have answered heaven boldly not guilty the imposition cleared hereditary ours so he's saying we could have gone on being innocent forever if we hadn't been reared with stronger blood 
And then she says, by this, we gather you've tripped since. So she's pushing the conversation once again into the idea that they've tripped up, that they've been sinful, that they've been bad boys. She's pushing them. He's put, she's pushing Polixenes for some sort of confession to their youthful sexual indiscretions. That's what all of this is about. Mm -hmm. And each time he tries to evade that, she puts that back on track. Yeah, th there's this, there are so many strange things happening here. I mean, to say that they were not even guilty of original sin is really mm. fascinating. So, so there's a transposition of, in this sort of pre-sexual existence that the two of them had, in which they were twinned lambs. So they were they were one and the same. They were the same thing. So this is the pre pre branching, right? They were and they were bleeding at each other, b l e a t, ble bleating like ba at each other. So they were sort mm -hmm. of pre language as well. They had no original sin, so they were pre pre lapsarian as well, which they then, sorry. So then Polixenes locates the moment of the fall or the trip, partly because of Hermione's suggestion with the idea of a woman rather than the, he's transposing Eve for the apple is essentially what ah, he's doing. Interesting. Right. Because Adam and Eve live together as a couple pre original sin in a sinless state. The apple was the introduction of sin, not anything that he did with Eve. It's not as though in a Judeo Christian society, people believe that like just, to be with a woman is inherently sinful or something like that, right? But there's a but there's a transposition happening in which the object, the apple, is replaced by Eve herself, Eve's person. Just the very existence of women is somehow the, a sinful quantity mm. with which these boys must reckon, right? So, so then we have by this we gather you have tripped since. So, since then you've tripped, you've sinned since. But of course, as you've suggested, right, the, to trip, to fall, the, the fall of man, here is associated with like your foot slipped, which is, a, you know, it's a euphemism for having an affair. So that was the introduction of sin with woman. Well, so he, he then says, oh, my most sacred lady, temptations have since then been born to us, which is an interesting turn of phrase. For in those unfledged days was my wife a girl. Your precious self had then not crossed the eyes of my young playfellow. So temptation is created, oddly enough, with the introduction of, of their wives into their lives. Yeah. Um, right. When his wife was a girl, this is the only mention I think we get of Polixenes' wife. She's right. a wife first, right. then a girl in that ordering. And then all she had to do was cross their eyes. There's something strange about that. Eyes crossing and crossing a across one's path, right, or sort of commingled there. All they had to do was walk in front of them, and then something is broken. Yeah, I like that. So he, when he talks about the not guilty hereditary R's, he, he's saying that that would have been the case if we hadn't been raised with stronger blood, which I, I, I don't know exactly what being reared with stronger blood means i mean if he's talking about nature or nurture there right if we hadn't been such lusty young men or if it was just a matter of how they were raised but he's suggesting yes like she she gathers that they have tripped since he's alluding to not being innocent anymore and i think she's already taking that to be a reference to sexual activity by young men and she's pushing for 
confessions about did you who did you date before you got married who did my <laughs> man date before he got married what, yeah, what's what, you your know, body count that, that's they say now yeah what's yeah. your body count <laughs> and and then he says something which i think he's trying to evade that by saying well yeah, yes we there were um he's trying to yeah, I, I think he's trying to suggest that that they've that they've only been involved in sexual sins with the wives, although she makes a remark about that. The offenses we have made you do will answer if you first sinned with us, and that with us you did continue fault, and that you slip not with any but with us. Mm-hmm. He's trying to skip over any previous relationships and say, "Okay, we've sinned with you because you're our wives." Um, Which had is sex with not you, true. but yep, <laughs> but right and. She says, okay, well, that's fine if as long as you didn't sleep with anyone before us. And it, what's also interesting is that it's a foursome at this point in the way they're speaking. There's already this kind of swingers element to it. Mm. Is, is it infidelity outside of the foursome or outside of the twosome, right? Right. Yeah, I'm wondering if we can tie this. What's strange is that they're talking about something which is not a sin as a sin, right? Obviously, if you, if you have sex with your wife, it's not sinful in the traditional sense of that term or in any other sense. But it seems like the suggestion is maybe that the first time they sinned uh, in this imaginary scenario, which Hermione is trying to get him to sort of cop to. So the first sin here might have been an out of wedlock tryst, perhaps, but it has not been... But even that has not been separated from like whatever sex that they've had once they had actually gotten married. It's as if every it's as if every sexual experience one can have, even with one's own wife, is somehow an infidelitous or or a uh, it, it's a it's all fornication. So so the swingers idea that you're talking about, I think, is really interesting because if it's all fornication, it might as well be with anyone. Right, it might as well be with somebody else's wife. If all sex is sinful, there is no fidelity. And so, uh, the, the other interesting element that's that's added to this little chunk of of speech that Hermione has here is she first says the word grace. She says grace to boot, which is glossed in my text as heaven help me. Um, but this is the first time that she's said this word, which she'll subsequently say many other times, which is. This idea of, as we've talked about in previous episodes, of right unmerited favor that one gets from God, it's in a way the opposite of sin, not literally, but it runs at cross purposes to sin. And so she's introducing this idea of grace at the same time that any kind of human sexual activity is being painted with the broad brush of sin. And I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. I haven't really thought about it, but I just think it's an interesting moment at which this grace idea is injected into the conversation yeah yep it's sin lest you lest you say your queen and i are devils they're the temptresses but yeah i i think that's very interesting at the very least i haven't thought about the grace part of this but at the very least it's really interesting that she is pushing polixenes for this sexual gossip essentially mm-hmm and meanwhile, Leontes is spying on them, and this is the nail in the coffin that's catastrophic. He, it's right at this point that he comes up on them and enters the conversation again and says, is he won yet? And mm-hmm. she says, yeah. And 
he has that little aside and I love all the asides in this, by the way. Uh, and in the BBC production that I recommended from 1981, I think it is, it's all done so, so well, but so he has this little aside where he says at my request, he would not, these sides are really interesting in this because a lot of Leontes insanity, you know, his, his insane musings happen, um, through those little asides. So, mm. but yeah, so there, it seems like, I think if you were reading this quickly and you might, um, or seeing it performed, you might say, huh, this is an int- awfully abrupt transition. He's, he's upset that Hermione could convince Polixenes now, and this is what's going to set him off, but he c- couldn't get Polixenes to stay, but Her- Hermione did. But if you look back at all of this has been set up in various ways that not only psychologically account for the jealousy, but very tightly integrated into everything that's going on thematically. Yeah, we have this idea, is he one yet winning in terms of winning over a lover, right? Or winning someone to you in terms of being in a relationship or even for marriage or something like that. So, yeah, that phrasing already suggests that Leontes... Well, it's even extended. You, even ex- So it's even extended because it. He, Leontes will say, you never spoke to a better purpose. Mm-hmm. And she'll say never and he'll go oh yeah do the never but once when you said yes to my proposal so he creates this direct parallel between his proposal to marry to hermione to marry him and her persuasion of polixenes to stay that's right and and in his description of the efforts that he made to win hermione over it's pretty it's not a happy memory, this winning her over, that he waited three crabbed months, which had soured themselves to death, ere I could make thee open thy white hand. And this is not the eternal summer of the twin lambs. This is a time of bitterness that he waited for Hermione to accept him. He was not happy in, in, in the process of winning her over. So uh, yeah. there's already this this almost nastiness, not explicitly so, but I think it, within Leontes' own heart, we can see a kind of nastiness towards Hermione in this characterization. Well, it, it's interesting because it suggests she teases him an awful lot, including that that previous tease where she says, not that I don't love you. If you want to go spend time with your your buddies or your buddy here for an extra month, but oh, that doesn't mean I don't want you around. But in this case, Right, she's to to my eye, she's playfully teasing him. Which, um, well, so anyway, in any case, let me make the larger point, <laughs> regardless of what's going on here. That there's some teasing in this that suggests that they have a they have a relationship which allows for that, and it's even the case. We should point out that Polixenes has been there for nine months, and it doesn't seem like Leontes has gotten jealous yet. Things are a little off in the beginning, but we see everything build up within the context of the play. So whatever has gone on, Leontes, it's the leave taking that's really important to stimulating Leontes suspicions. It's this concept of gratitude Mm. that is pivotal it hadn't happened before the leave taking and now it is 
And of course, the fact that they're reaching the nine month mark, they're nearing the nine month mark on the pregnancy. And that's, it's been nine months of the visit and, and various other things are, are important as well. Hmm. But, but yeah, at this point, I think he's primed. He's primed for what comes next. Too hot, too hot. <laughs> <laughs> to mingle friendship far as mingling bloods, which is really fascinating because it sounds like he's talking about, is he talking about his friendship with Polixenes or is he talking about her friendship with him or both? This is the question. Who is he jealous of here? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right. Who is he jealous of? I think in the end, it's probably both, but we have to, I don't think we can avoid the conclusion that a big part of it is he's upset that this, his twinned lamb, this person with whom he has a very strong relationship that's described as a, as love has said no to him, but said yes to his wife. So and maybe, and I'm sure reams of literature have been written on the homoerotic a- aspect of this, but mm-hmm. the, so, so which plays a greater role here, his love of Hermione or his love of Polixenes? I don't think we can answer that question. I think they both play a role, but I think we, I, I don't think we can avoid the conclusion that his love of Polixenes plays a huge role in what's about to happen. I think too, I, in conversations that I had with a professor of mine, I, my, my thinking on this has evolved a little bit, but what's interesting, so, so we have Hermione right before Leontes is too hot, too hot, says basically that she's, she's thrilled that, yeah, that, that this is grace. I've gotten something extra, right? For, two for the price of one, which is a kind of grace economy, right? So I have both a husband and a friend. And of course, in my edition, friend it's noted can also mean lover, right? And Leontes then has this very, when Harry met Sally, kind of, you know, men and women can't be friends, right? And I've uh, got my husband, I've got a friend with benefits, right. a friend with gratitude, right. <laughs> is that the benefit? Right. Well, and of, and of course, yeah, that's good. Um, and, and of course, Leontes wouldn't think, so long as he has this the same kind of attitude towards women as Polixenes does, of course he wouldn't think that a man can be friends with a woman seeing as women are devils. They are sin incarnate and just walking in front of you can cause you to slip. So so of course he wouldn't think that they could be friends. There's some truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry. come on. Um, well, this, th- therefore, this, this idea of the inherent impossibility of, the, of a chaste relationship between men and women, I think it speaks to, obviously, to to Leontes's misogyny. But then, at the end of this little speech, he immediately turns. He well, he turns not immediately, but abruptly, I should say, to Mamilius. And this is, I think, where things really get well, interesting. Yeah, I think this is great. I just want to, I just want to make one more comment about this line: mingling friendship is mingling bloods, because it's there's. Right. There's an ambiguity in that line, mingling bloods in what sense? In, in a metaphorical sense, right? As in one meaning of it is obviously that they're in, involved in a romantic and sexual relationship, but the mingling of bloods also seems to allude to the idea that they've created a child together. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, so he goes on to recount what he thinks he's seen from afar, which is them paddling palms and pinching fingers and things but it, but anyway then there's this turn to 
um, Mamelius, as you pointed out. Go ahead with that. Yeah, he's in the middle of talking about this uh, idea of, of his cuckoldry and a, a reference to his brows, which might be sprouting horns over this current pregnancy of Hermione's, and then abruptly turns to Mamilius and says, Art thou my boy? And this turn, this repeated turn back to Mamilius, is a theme of this section. I, I think that I was convinced in this conversation with a professor that I had that Mamilius is far more important to Leontes' mm. psychology here than we might think. That it mm. might be, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but maybe I'll say it now. I'll, I'll state my thesis now and then make my case as we go along. But the thesis, which was lent to me really by this professor, is that it's Mamilius who Leontes is actually jealous of which is a really interesting idea. I'll try to make the case as we go along. I'm not sure I'm entirely convinced of it. I think that there's I think there that there's something here with the closeness with Polixenes, which I don't know if we want to call it homoerotic or not. I'm I'm not terribly interested in any homoerotic elements there. I'm more interested in this kind of misogynistic view of women that that both Leontes and Polixenes seem to have mingled maybe with Leontes kind of jealousy over Hermione's pregnancy, which is maybe a, some fertile ground there for, for conversation. But Leontes yeah. looks at Mamilius's nose and says, they say it is a copy out of mine. He's convinced that Mamilius is his child. And that maybe is the problem. Uh, that's why he continually turns back to Mamilius. So there's there there are a few th there are a few things at work here. First of all, I, and I, I think they go together. I think that Leontes I'm I'm calling it misogyny. It's a strong word. I think it's appropriate here. But in in the Renaissance period, as as now arguably, um, but but especially back when establishing kingship and having a male heir was so important, there's this desire. I think being expressed in the play of women as the mere conduits for the reproduction or replication of the man, right? The man needs a copy of himself mm -hmm. to keep going. And this is no, nowhere is this more important than when the man is king of something and needs a male heir to inherit and to succeed him. So the, the, the woman in the equation is the problem to be solved, really. They're the thing that's in the way of the man who desires an asexual reproduction, if you will, to replicate himself. The woman is the variable. She's the one who may cheat on you, and thereby you cannot produce yourself again. You, she might be producing somebody else, some other man. So so this obsession with yep, cookle the printing press might be Exactly. Copying out someone else's play. <laughs> exactly. And this problem of cuckoldry is one with which Shakespeare is obsessed, and perhaps rightly so, in, a, in the time that he came up or shortly before it, right? Henry VIII was obsessed with this idea of replicating himself, of producing a male heir. In Elizabeth's time, there's this vacuum in which she has no heirs. She's also a woman. And so, anyway, so, so all of this, I think, is important to stress that there's a there's an inherent misogyny in this idea of the male progeny taking over this idea that the woman can can betray you and thereby rob you of yourself projected into the future and at the same time i think the fact that mamilius actually is his is causing leontes a lot of problems the fact that he has actually replicated himself um 
is an issue for him. And uh, again, I, I don't want to see, uh, I, I don't want to move too far in advance, but even just say, looking at the next subsequent pages, like in la- around line 155, when he looks on the lines of his boy's face and sees himself 23 years younger, we have this Peter Pan complex. We have this these two men who want to be boys again, but you can't be a boy as long as you have a boy. Then you're a dad, right? So I think yeah, there's, I think I there's think, a problem here with his self-replication is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think Mamelius may be a stand-in for the twin lambs as well. Mm. So that he and Polixenes constitute and in, in their boy eternal fusion. I think the this idea of replicating oneself and so vicariously living eternally connects to this idea of being a boy eternally and a boy with one's friend for any complications of the opposite sex, sexual attachments, marriage, reproduction, all of that, before the domestic scene intrudes on that kind of perfection inherent in that sort of same-sex love that same-sex friendship that's Mm. highly sublimated right and not sexual Hmm. i think the word homoerotic actually misses the point because the attraction of it is the innocent part the lamb part the lack of sexual complication and in mamilius you get i think you get an emblem or a symbol of that and the danger here, if Mimelius in a way represents that childhood boy eternal fusion with Polixenes, it, I think it's just one more step to the idea that Polixenes could be the father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of where the jealousy comes from. But I think the other aspect of this is, and, and I think you're right, and I'm just extending what you're saying, is that there's a threat to the idea of that eternal youth. He's somehow still attached to that. There's a threat to this idea of a perfect replication of the self through which one lives, Mm -hmm. but also, if I'm right, a perfect replication of a certain type of friendship, a certain type of relationship that's supposed to live on forever as well. And that is, that's, what has been threatened. So again, it goes both, it goes both ways, you know, jealousy of Polixenes, jealousy of Hermione. Yeah, I think that's good. I like too that Mamilius is obviously what that, that name is like, means breast. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> you know, it's, so it does seem evocative of that. Yeah. Yeah. So he has this, so Mamilius is in a way like a living embodiment, a living reminder of the break in the relationship with Polixenes. Right. In the way that any child is mm-hmm. is evidence of the fact <laughs> that you have had sex, right? Mamilius, even in his name, is a constant reminder to Leontes of his mother and of the relationship that produced Mamilius as being sort of at cross purposes to or the thing that occasioned the break with the relationship with Polixenes. So he's again at the end of this of another little speech after he who refers to his brows and first turns to Mamilius and says, art thou my boy? We get just, just about seven more lines after that in which he's going through again, as a kind of on a smaller scale, the same paces as he did earlier, looking at the two of them 
Hermione and Polixenes holding hands, continuing this heifer, this really unattractive heifer metaphor that's been introduced the page before. And then says, again, turns to Mamilius, and now with this heifer idea carried through, Mamilius becomes the calf. So this is how now you wanton calf. Wanton Art calf. thou my calf. Yeah, wanton calf. Yeah, so um, wanton calf, right? It, in contradistinction to the innocent lambs, we're going to get an echo of that when the ladies playfully tell Mamilius that if he were older, he would wanton with them. Mm. Uh I was pretty shocked by that. (laughs) But in any case, yeah, art thou my calf? So he's worried about the provenance of his offspring. Or is it his offspring? It seems, Um, I mean, it seems very clear that that he is and that even that Leontes believes he is. That there's something quite rhetorical about this. Yeah, 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 yep. He he hasn't gone that far, but he's, he's leading himself towards the idea that her current pregnancy is not his, so. Uh, and and, and in he has way, to rely on right. her word in general. Right, right. And, and in, in a way, it isn't. I mean, what I think, what what allows Perdita to to be, Perdita to come back, to be reconciled, is the fact that she's a girl. <laughs> there, there are different stakes there, unfortunately, right? So, so in a way, a female child, whoever that is, isn't <laughs> going to be like Leontes, though, though much is made of the fact that she looks quite a bit like him. There isn't the same kind of threat there. So in in line 131, when Leontes says of Mamilius that they are almost as like as eggs, which is a really... I, Women I take that, say so, but I, she can't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> I take two two eggs sitting together. I mean, in addition to the fact that an egg is obviously a sort of feminine feminine image, two eggs sitting next to each other also look like something else, and 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 they're featureless, and and implies Leontes takes both himself and Mamilius back to this sort of uh, pre inseminated state where they're both pre embryonic, and again, the twinness of that I think is what's yeah what's threatening here. As and yeah, as you've pointed out, he's he must partly be jealous of Mamelius, at least, yeah, and that's very common, of course, for men. It's usually more common, I think, earlier in in the childhood, right? Men with new with wives with new babies, they often regress into a more childlike, dependent state and have a lot of problems with the attentions of the woman being more on the child, but. But yeah, so there's a lot of different there's a lot of different ways in which the jealousy is running here. But as I I think you also have another good point about the separation allowed by Perdita lost, right? Mm-hmm. Her name means lost and means loss, which is an important part of establishing the separation where you don't go insane because the bloods mingle too much. Mm. There's too much closeness. There's too much fusion and the whole early boy, eternal lamb situation. There's possibly too much fusion between your friend and your wife. We need some kind of barrier. Part of that is distance in time, distance in country, a change in sex the line is going to run through her right the i think the royal line will run through her but it'll be her child with uh polixenes son florizel we assume i think that they will produce a male heir that will unite both kingdoms maybe i don't know Mm -hmm. but 
but at the very least, whether or not it unites the kingdoms, it unites <laughs> Polixenes and Leontes. They finally mm -hmm. get to have uh, a child together, but it's a grandchild. And so you get it's less. I think it feels less dangerous. Polixenes and Hermione get to have a baby as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it works both ways. Um Right, exactly. Yeah. Every the 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 swingers all get to have a baby together. Exactly. Bob and Tom, um, Carol and Alice all have one, <laughs> one grandchild. <laughs> yeah. I think we should move on here to this affection speech which is amazing. Yes. And confusing. But here so now he's going to make the movement from reflecting on the impossibility of knowing whether the child is yours. So he says, affection by intention stabs the center. Thou dost make possible things not so held. Communicatest with dreams. How can this be? With what's unreal, though thou coactive art and fellowest nothing. Then tis very credent thou mayst co-join with something, and thou dost, and that beyond commission. And I find it, and that to the infection of my brains and hardening of my brows. So what does that mean? I think there's been, you know, there's debate on what this is supposed to mean. I, um, it sounds like, I, I don't know if affection, so affection is obviously impaired with infection down below. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's meant to mean insanity or just the feeling of jealousy or the feeling of love, but in any case, it seems also, it seems to be personified and have an intention which stabs the center and what is the center of what the center of the world, his center, his heart and makes possible things not so held. So it makes the impossible possible and is coactive with the unreal, communicates with dreams, but doesn't produce anything. So again, I think there's this con contrast between the concrete world and the mental world where, so when he says it's credent, it conjoins with something. I think the idea is that affection when it reproduces it reproduces something only within the domain of the imagination but by doing that it's almost like a vision that reveals the truth he's going to go on to say a lot of other things about basically his emotional state of mind and lack of reasonable reasonableness lack of attention to evidence and all that he he portrays as a kind of virtue because he thinks he's been, by way of his emotional state, he's actually been plugged into a more direct connection to the truth of things. And I think that's part of what's going on here, but I'm curious about hearing about mm. how you read this. That's great. I mean, I think that to the extent that I was able to figure this out, I think that's along those lines. I mean, I literally have in the margins, which are otherwise really full, this section, I just have crazy talk. That's all, that's all I wrote. I did a little research um, on this and everyone I think is quite confused by this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Well, it seems uh, that there's this- I, There's a lot of conflicting theories about what this actually means, which I think is, is just brilliant. You gotta, like, if you want a crazy person, you gotta uh, have them say indecipherable things or at least you know they could be deciphered in a number of different ways that's right yeah the, there's something of the cipher here right the, this idea comes up again and again that like if we have nothing then it has to hook up with something um 
in order to have meaning and thereby it makes meaning. I hesitate to bring this up and yet I, I feel I have to. At the same time that I was reading this, I got these blood test results back, which this has nothing to do with anything except that I'm reading almost everything Leontes is saying as being like like a, a newspaper article about my current predicament. <laughs> I uh, It's a report from the front lines. But anyway, I got I, I got these blood test results back. I, I've, I had to figure out why I was getting sick so much. And it turns out that I have a very low white blood cell count right now. And we're, I'm trying to figure out why that is. But basically, the supposition is that I had been so stressed out and my cortisol levels might have been high, thereby reducing my white blood cell count. That basically, yeah. I the exact same thing. I'm just like Leontes in pretty much every possible way. Um, <laughs> but that, in other words, that's something that I thought... Um, do you look at the camera all the time and give mad speeches to exactly <laughs> or at the audience? Yeah. No, okay. but I mean, but this whole idea, this this magical thinking has been an obsession of mine since I read this because I feel it's happening to me. <laughs> you know, this idea mm. that the things that you think, the nothings that, that you think can somehow, the, the mind can somehow produce this effect on reality which is truly superstitious which I, which I've always been guilty of but this this the idea that 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 through magical thinking you can actually affect something that will show up on a blood test result <laughs> you know mm-hmm. through being stressed out i mean not that the the stress is magical thinking right but through something that happens purely as a mental process that it can actually have a physical effect on you is just something that is that has been i almost like leontes and the oracle i almost said these blood test results are wrong because this can't possibly be true that right that when you're presented with the evidence of this still it seems unbelievable that you could have in in the sense that you've stressed yourself out and thereby caused a physical problem you thought yourself into a change in your physical state and so so some barrier has been punctured i hope it's relevant but this is what i'm trying to talk about i think this is what he's saying here that the something has been transmuted between states between a like states of matter you might say but here it's between the state of ideas into the this the plane of reality something like that yeah i think that's really interesting in light of polixenes worry his omnipotence of thought worry that his fears about bad things going on in the kingdom while he's away might make them come true exactly and that seems to be the idea that you're entertaining here and i think that this is so spot on because we've been introduced to the idea of omnipotence of thought on the one hand and impotence of thought on the other the impotence being thank yous are impotent in a way gratitude is impotent um and what else? I forget. There are various other things that we mentioned, but this domain of the psychosocial, which is not concrete, there's a kind of impotence in that. And here he's discovered a domain in which that may not be the case because uh, there may actually be an omniscience to being touched (laughs) or it's a weird type of inspiration right it's not just jealousy it's and this is what will allow him to be certain even in the face of the oracle right he's his own oracle Mm -hmm. it's almost a sort of prophet-like inspiration that he's undergoing in which by feeling something and this is not uncommon right we all do this actually by we, we feel like our feelings are um 
are a kind of evidence that they can give us a kind of certainty mm-hmm. about things. And that's what I think this speech, I think this speech has something to do with that, something to do with this idea that that a certain realm of thought is not impotent, emotion or whatever you want to call it, or maybe jealousy, maybe jealousy is a form of power because it produces certainty, because it produces a kind of omniscience. Now, hmm. is it, inventing right right the 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 question about the the truth aspect of this breaks down a little bit because um is he making it happen in the way polixides might might make something happen at home is he making it happen through his fears not in the sense that he's going to drive them together but in the sense that it no longer matters what the concrete reality is the reality just is one's internal emotional reality and that's all that matters i think this is a really important idea and it it's so psychologically true and it has a a very strong political importance as well i think it's relevant for instance to what orwell calls double think or what i think on the daily show was called truthiness Mm. this idea that it's almost aesthetic in the sense that there's a higher truth that's more important than facts than the actual facts and that higher truth is just one's own sentiments and they're typically moral sentiments of certain kind or sentiments about what's just or not it doesn't matter what really happened because i'm outraged by something that happened for instance so Mm -hmm. i think that's part of what's going on here so we've gone from gratitude and mental states to being impotent to finding a domain in which they are actually powerful in the sense of conferring a type of omniscience. Yeah, that's great. I think in what you said about the effectiveness of Leontes' jealousy in potentially in pushing Polixenes and Hermione into an affair or to, yeah, to create this reality, I think that obviously that doesn't quite work, but I think that the deeper impulse is maybe not that he wants them to have an affair or he wants to make it true, but that he wants to, as you've already said, like push them away from him, right? He wants to, he, he, he wants to get out of this too close relationship to both of them and to Mamilius. And that is mm. what he successfully occasions, right? What he mm. does is pushes them away. I mean, his, the way that his thoughts affect reality, um, I mean, it's actually shocking. It's that's why I brought up my blood test results, which were equally to me in, in my current state, <laughs> equally shocking. In that people actually die as a result of what he thinks, right? I mean, it's, it's a bit right. silly that Mamilius and Hermione both kind of swoon, and it's more realistic because Hermione's just given birth in in what we imagine are pretty and is also conditions. not really dead. Right. Well, although I know there's two readings of that. But. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what he does, it, what he wants is distance. And that's what he gets. That's what he produces. Yeah. Um, great point. Yeah. So. And we go from there. Hermione, I love the transition from affection to infection of the brains. And this infection disease metaphor is going to start becoming predominant. But then distraction hermione puts it as distraction so affection infection distraction (laughs) you Mm. look as if you held a brow of much distraction and then he and then he gives that line about he hides the fact that he's been worrying about the parentage of the boy and says i thought i saw myself 
as you already mentioned. But I think as we've discussed, there's an element of truth in that. Mamelius is the representative of the boy eternal and the fusion of him and Polixenes. But Hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, in this, speaking of fusion, I'll just, if I'm not going too quickly, turn our attention to Polixenes' discussion of his own son, which I think provides some credence Mm -hmm. for this reading of Mamelius being the problem. Polixenes says that his son is all my exercise, my mirth, my matter, now my sworn friend and then mine enemy, my parasite, my soldier, statesman all. He makes a July's day short as December, and with his varying childness cures in me thoughts that would thick my blood. So (laughs) I love this idea that kids are the problem for which they are also the cure. (laughs) That's how I'm reading this, that... um, Kids cause all these these issues. Mm. They bring out right all of these various elements of their parents. They cause them a lot of grief. They cause them a lot of stress. They are, in this instance, it seems for Polixenes, they're a kind of threat, a kind of competition. But then also they cure the very thoughts that they produce. Um, yep. It seems to me that he wouldn't have any of these. He wouldn't have need of a cure if he hadn't a child to thick his blood right in a kind of literal way yeah, in the, in the way point. that we're talking about yeah the fears that the fears created by the well not only because children are pain in the ass because you're worried about them all the time right right what right. could happen to them um, and, and that that polixenes is no longer the main character right he's he has to give way to this young person who is all of these right he's the main character now he has all the characteristics he's soldier and statesman everything okay yeah right right okay yeah, that's the more profound reading of that. No, no. And it, so at this point, we get a transition to Leontes, say, to use his word angling, trying to set them up by saying things like, let what is what is dear in Sicily be cheap. Show all your, be, be, be as nice as you can be, Hermione, to, to Polixenes. I'm going to, you guys go off to the garden, do your thing. To your own bents dispose you. <laughs> you'll be found although you know <laughs> be you beneath the sky and then there's the aside i'm angling now so anyway that it's not going to take him long of course to to come to the position of absolute certainty which that affection speech suggests that he's he's already nearly there if not there but he's pretending like he's setting them up to sin again and be found out mm-hmm yeah, he's the, the transformation of these metaphors are w- what is most interesting to me in these subsequent speeches. The, the way that things change or become perverted or turned inside out, I think it happens with the fishing metaphor and it really happens, of course, with the infection, disease, contagion metaphor where that keeps changing who has the disease who doesn't know they have the disease etc you know that the um the referent uh keeps being transposed but i think that something of that is happening on a microscopic level at the opening of this speech of leontes once he's sent off polixenes and hermione when he says to mamilius go play boy play thy mother plays and i play too but so disgraced apart just that the changing of the word play there, the meanings of play, mm-hmm. um, is kind of the evolution that that the some of the metaphors undergo, um, which again is suggestive of this early idea that you brought up of this word associative thing. Now it seems like 
Leontes is like party of one. He's playing his own word association game that leads yeah. him down the mental garden path to the the thing that he believed in the first place. He gets yeah, himself there. I love there. this. I love this. Yeah, exactly. I love the speech. This association of Emilius playing with the mothers and and fidelity. It's great. So he can't encounter any phenomenon in the world without interpreting it it through this lens that he's created and then he says and i love this speech as well there have been or i am much deceived cuckolds ere now and many a man there is even at this present now while i speak this holds his wife by the arm that little thinks she has been sluiced in his absence (laughs) (laughs) and his pond fished by his neighbor. I think we should bring sluiced back as a, uh, (laughs) but anyway, I just love these crazy speeches by, by Leontes. Um, You know, a 10th of the man of mankind would hang themselves if they knew. (laughs) <laughs> that their wives were getting sluiced the way they are. If they, if everyone whose wife were cheating on them actually knew that, then I don't know. Ten percent might be a low <laughs> estimate. Oh, um, I'm just kidding. Physic for it, there's none. It is a body planet. I mm. love that. Oh my god, there's just so much I love in this play. But and mm. a body planet that will strike where it is predominant, and then no barricado for a belly. That's great. Kingdoms can have gates and psyches can have gates they can have defenses that work right but Mm -hmm. there's no way to ensure the fidelity of a of another person yeah which is such a which is so interesting because the belly is that seems to be the impermeable membrane (laughs) um right Mm -hmm. that seems to be the it's the the belly itself right is not the port of entry (laughs) shall we say (laughs) no Um, it's not (laughs) (laughs) and Um, so there's so the but the logic of that is what makes this so great right i mean the literal logic the impermeability becomes Leontes imagines himself, I think, to have like x-ray vision because this becomes a theme and I'm skipping ahead. I won't go all the way there. Right. But this becomes the whole point of the spider thing. Right. I have drunk and seen the spider. That's a very odd order. Right. You don't see the spider if you Mm. drank it. Um, Right. So so there's something of this. I think of this x-ray vision. Right. That's happening where he could see inside someone uh, here. Before we get to that, I just want to say, though, that the, you know, the, this belly, too, it, it will let in and out the enemy with bag and baggage. Obviously, that's a very sexual metaphor, but it's also indicative of a baby, too, right? The baby is also Right. Well, enemy. that's, I think by belly, he means the pregnant, swollen belly. Sure. A- absolutely. Um, that's the way I took it. Yeah. So, bag and, yeah. Yeah. And there's the, no way the, to determine parentage. There's no way to know. You can defend a kingdom. You can defend your mind, but you can't defend yourself against being cuckolded right right or Uh having a having offspring that you might think is yours and but isn't which it's psychologically it's interesting to think about why is that such a terrible thing i think intuitively we can understand it but if we try to parse it out rationally it becomes much more difficult what is the danger of another's offspring well he's he immediately switches back to the disease metaphor which it's a kind of an odd place for it because i I think there's a lot of association going on here i mean same thing with the fishing metaphor so earlier he talks about angling right so he's the fisherman 
And mm. the couple, both Polixenes and Hermione, are like the pond of information in, in which he's fishing. What the fish is, we don't know, right? But the two of them together, maybe in this metaphor, like the pond. Then in this speech, the fishing metaphor comes back, but as a symbol of a man who fishes in another man's pond with mm. the woman as... The woman is the pond, she's the con the conduit from which the men extract the goods, the fish maybe being the sons or something like that. And so Leontes' pond has been violated by another fisherman, someone else is angling in his pond. In the same way, I think there's this idea of um, of no barricado for a belly, there's no, you can't block access to the womb as it's glossed in my edition. So so a, a man can enter a woman and she will let in and out men who are not her husband in, in terms of an affair. Also, the enemy, is, as we've already said, is the child who will exit mm. the, the, the issue of the adulterous relationship. And then he immediately goes to many thousands on us have the disease and feel it not. And here I'm taking, you know, because of it's in such close relation or close proximity rather to this very explicit sexual language, I'm taking this almost as like a, like a sexual disease, but he's flipped it or he's twisted it, right? It's the woman's body that's being vi violated or that's not the right word, right? But that's being invaded by outside forces. So presumably she would be the one who has the disease, in in the previous metaphor, if we take it for, uh, if we take the disease to be what literally a sexual disease, a sexually transmitted disease, because she's been the the gate <laughs> through which people are coming in and out, or the disease of sin or whatever, right? But she's the thing that's been the conduit for others. She's the thing that has been, if you like, violated. I'll use that term, right? But he's the one then who becomes the violated one. He's the one. So so just as he, he went from being angler to landowner whose pond has been violated, she has gone from being the violated pond to now he's the one who is, who is infected with the disease. So it's almost as though he is put in the woman's place and Polixenes is the fisherman taking something out of him. So, so, th so there's a transposition in which he is in the feminine role in this metaphor. Yeah, that's interesting. And just to reinforce your point, it's a really odd way to describe being cuckolded as having a disease because it's something that really, in a way, doesn't involve you. And this is the weird mm -hmm. thing about jealousy and is also something worth reflecting on. What does it matter what the other person is doing out of sight? What does it what does it matter? Why is sexual fidelity so important psychologically? I mean, it can be explained, obviously, but it's not like someone um, is taking a knife literally and putting it into your body. You're not being physically harmed. Mm -hmm. No one's yelling at you. You're not being verbally abused. <laughs> but but there's this need for another to have a certain kind of comportment to you not just love but complete faith and fidelity such that they are not engaged in some pleasurable maybe loving but maybe just physically pleasurable experience with another person without you um so there's a lot to be said about why why would we be jealous? Why would we be envious? Those are very puzzling ideas, I think, when you begin to think about them. And here, this idea of describing it as a disease captures 
some of that. He has a disease that involves the activity of his wife with another, does it that actually he's not, he can't actually catch it. It's not really, it's an odd metaphor in a way to capture mm. some odd emotions. But what else was I going to say about this? The real disease is that he's insane. <laughs> the real disease is the jealousy, not the thing that he's jealous of. So by calling it a disease, he's on, he's, he's, um, I think a little bit conscious of the the fact that there's a kind of insanity involved in jealousy, but he's thinking of this and consciously, at least in terms of catching the disease of someone else's unfaithfulness of cuckoldry and becoming like all those other men on the body planet. Well, I like that because then it, you know, it pushes this metaphor even further, arguably I, uh, you know, that if he's the byproduct, right, of the affair, in other words, these two people produce an infection which is registered in his body, he's almost like the cuckolded man is almost like the child of the affair in that metaphoric relation, right? Mm. The affair mm. produces something, its product is the disease in the third party. Maybe that's pushing things yep. too far, but the. I think that's good. Is this a good place to end, do you think? Um, I think it is, since yes. we're just going to do clean and Camilo next. But okay. Yes. All right, so we will stop there, and next time we will uh, finish up Act 1, and I think things are going to go a bit, a bit faster, so I'm not sure what we're going to get through in the next part of the discussion and the part following that. But I was not surprised that we spent a lot of time on this first act. Um, this is the where all the meat is not all the meat but this is where all the, <laughs> it's yeah. important yeah things get more action oriented there's they, they move much quicker in a way after this but so i uh yeah so we will we'll continue on uh with leontes and camilo next time thank you thank you and thank you to everyone who listened to this episode to get ad-free episodes and episodes of our after show postscript please subscribe at patreon.com slash subtext. Also, this podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other Airwave shows like Good Job Brain, a podcast that's part quiz show and part offbeat trivia, and Big Picture Science, which engages the public with modern science research through smart and humorous storytelling. That's airwavemedia.com.